0: This is Grady Summers. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at FireEye. Welcome to the FireEye Eye on Security podcast. Uh, You know, some of the most popular podcasts that we've done over the last couple of years have been around email and email security. So I'm really excited today that we're joined by two great guests to pick up the topic of business email compromise. Today, we're joined by Lauren Winchester. She's a privacy attorney. She's on the Breach Response Services team at Beasley, where she helps policyholders with incident response. Also joined by Ken Bagnell. Ken's a vice president of product management at FireEye. He runs our email business. So Lauren and Ken, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having thanks for me. me. Nice to be here. So let's just start with some of the basics. Ken, maybe you can tell us, like, when we talk about business email compromise, what are we referring to, and, and what can be done about it?
1: Yeah, so it's uh it's a, one of my favorite topics to be honest with you. So we would break this down into two subcategories. Uh, where someone is impersonating a member of your organization uh, in order to engage in some type of conversation-based fraud. So that would you know, be like the traditional CEO fraud where you get an email from your boss, uh, are you at your desk, can you help me out? Eventually leading to uh, asking you to change the bank details for a tr- upcoming transaction or something like that. Uh, And the second version of this, which has become far more popular, is where someone is impersonating somebody external to your organization who you normally do business with. Uh, So we refer to this as supply chain impersonation. So, again, it is this time will be someone, you know, normally in the finance department or something, and they'll receive uh, an email from someone that they normally do business with, an external vendor. Uh, and it's, you know, will lead to a conversation about, oh, can you change our bank account details, et cetera, and result in a payment to the fraudster rather than the actual um, vendor in question. Uh, so there are the two subcategories that we have of it. And uh, one is, let's say, the evolution of the other. So it would have started off with normal internal impersonation years ago and has evolved into now what we call the supply chain impersonation. Uh, which is the, the newer and very prevalent today problem? That's that's uh, that is the one that uh, we have seen escalating, particularly in the last six months, or so. Uh,
0: and so it really, it's, it's like, grown enormously. Yeah, it has grown enormously. That's what amazed me. I mean, Lauren, we were talking. And you mentioned that from 2017 to 2018, the the Beasley breach response team saw 133 percent increase in these types of attacks. Why do you think it's it's growing like this?
2: Honestly, I think it's um, a couple of things. First of all, they're super easy and cost effective for the attackers. Um, the, the primary vehicle we see them using is an email account takeover, where they send a phishing email to a user that looks very legitimate. They're able to grab the email credentials, go log back in remotely. If organizations were to implement multi-factor authentication, which is widely available and very cost-effective, if not free at this point, then it prevents uh, the majority of those attacks. But what we see is a real hesitancy to implement multi-factor authentication out of fear of pushback from the user base. So more and more organizations are moving towards that, but there has been a real hesitancy. And uh, you're at this point, honestly, the low-hanging fruit when you're not doing that.
0: Yeah, so true. True. You also had some interesting data I saw in your your annual report on the costs of an email compromise breach, and I I think it would it might be surprising to some of our listeners. Can you elaborate on what you guys found?
2: Sure. Yeah. So last year at Beasley, we handled over eight 800- hundred email compromise incidents where there were email account takeovers. And the average claim that we saw was around $71,000 to uh, respond to that incident. But the highest claim that we actually paid out was over $2.5 million. Oh, wow. And that was just for the incident response alone. That wasn't even you know taking into account the forthcoming class action litigation. Um, so... These are exceedingly costly, especially depending on what industry the organization is in. So if it's healthcare or financial services, those email accounts are often rich with personal data. And depending on what availability of logs there might be, you might not be able to rule out what the attacker did while they were in the inbox. And you have to data for that data and give notice to those individuals.
0: Yeah. It, it's um, gosh, fascinating, and, and it's great data too because we're all familiar with sort of the costs uh, of breach surveys that we see from time to time. But so many of them are just survey based. Uh, say your report was an, a, a neat one because it really has empirical data about what what Beasley has seen. So I uh, appreciate you guys writing that up like you do. So can you know, Lauren laid out some of the costs there. Um, we see it at Mandiant that ninety one percent of you know the incidents that we investigate start with email, and it still just seems to be the number one delivery for, for getting malware into an enterprise. It'll be on the obvious, hey, it works. Why do you think we continue to see this?
1: Yeah, so there's a number of reasons. Uh, interesting that uh, Lauren was talking about uh, accounts takeover, uh, which is something that has become a lot more prevalent uh, everybody's moved to cloud-based email. So that is actually one contributing factor, but there's a couple of obvious obvious fundamental uh, problems with email communication right that uh, legitimate spoofing is kind of the f- part of the fundamental makeup of email so to explain that to you uh, you know you receive transactional emails every day that are from survey companies or newsletter companies or even online accounts packages etc that you know as part of how they are sent to you they Pretends to be from your own organization, maybe. Uh, so, although you know, on the external envelope, so to speak, it says it comes from whatever the third-party service is. What yeah, like you see in your group, so to speak, yeah. Right? What you see on the on the internal is that it, it comes from someone who is in your organization, and that is like a legitimate part of our transactional email today. And that leaves uh, a door open for everybody to, uh, you know, perform uh, phishing attacks, etc. Uh, and that's that's one of the kind of underlying problems that we have. Then we have the uh, cloud account takeovers, which is a problem, which, uh, as Lauren said, can be can be dealt with largely uh, using uh, multi-factor authentication. Uh, there's also there's also uh, uh, quite a lot of monitoring you can do, so. For example, um, our Helix team, you know, do have an awful lot of pre-configured Office 365 uh, log monitoring, looking for account takeover behaviors in the in the admin logs from uh, customers Office 365. So that also that also helps when uh, that does occur. Um, the third reason uh, that we're seeing a lot of this is that 70% of email are now answered on a mobile device. Uh, And you'll notice that when you look at email on your mobile device, it doesn't even show the email address. It uh, largely will just show you the first name, last name, which is what we call the friendly display name. Uh, And there aren't really many rules about what can be in that friendly display name field. So, you know, you can put in any member of your organization or an organization that you do business with, and it's quite likely that the recipient will believe it's that person and enter into a conversation. So they're the, they're the three main reasons that we see a lot of cyber with email at the moment.
0: Yeah, it is interesting that even though awareness of these types of attacks is higher than it's ever been, it's like our te- technological environment with use of mobile devices, the intentional spoofing you talked about has actually made it look easier for these kinds of attacks to be, to be carried out versus harder.
1: Yeah, and we actually talk about something called psychological authentication, right, which is uh, we have become used to uh, digital conversations that are only text-based. Like, so, you know, this is across the board, okay, not just email. So, like, you have text messages, WhatsApp messages, whatever, uh, with other people. And you're so used to being in those conversations and imagining the person that you're speaking to that you're actually off balance all the time for somebody to pretend to be somebody else. And you, you're just in a state of always it to, imagining it to be the person you think it is. And you're you're prone to fall for this type of situation all the time uh, because you engage in it so many times
0: every day. Yeah. that uh, I can totally see how that, that would trick somebody kind of lowering their, their mental bar or their mental guard against that kind of thing. You know, I, it's interesting. Our Mandiant uh, incident response team, of course, is, Known for responding to incidents, but often the first call uh, that that a compromised entity might make is is to the Beasley breach response team. And Lauren, I'm curious, when you get that first call, someone says, "You know, oops, I, I think we we've made a mistake here." Uh, what do you do? What, what, what should the first thing be that an organization does when they realize they might have fallen victim to this kind of attack?
2: Sure. So we certainly recommend notifying your carrier as early as possible if they have a breach response team. Beasley has a breach response team that can jump on and, and start helping you troubleshoot. So first thing I always recommend is make sure you're changing the passwords for the users that you know were potentially compromised. If they're on Office 365 and I'm talking to their IT team, you know, I ask, have they identified any suspicious foreign IPs that were logging into that compromised account? Can they block that IP address? from accessing other accounts? Can they search for other potentially compromised accounts using that IP or other indicators of compromise just to get them started looking at it? But very quickly, I'm recommending that they work with outside privacy accounts to engage a forensic firm, often mandiant, in order to investigate more fully. Because where there's one compromised email account, there's usually more. And Organizations, even with the best IT teams, can struggle to identify all of them. So using a forensic firm that does this type of work all the time, they're able to use known indicators of compromise that they're seeing with other clients and search for additional impacted accounts. They're also able to determine whether this was as simple as a phishing campaign that stole credentials or whether there's something more nefarious underlying the attack, such as a banking trojan that was stealing email credentials. If it's the former, then we're not as concerned about an ongoing threat, but if it's the latter and we're dealing with the banking Trojan, then the forensic firm really does need to make sure they're deploying additional tools to contain the situation. From there, <laughs> we uh, once we've identified the users, there's a conversation that needs to be had with the users about um, what type of sensitive data they might send or receive via email. And we need to triage to determine if we need to data mine those mailboxes further. And that's obviously going to depend on what the logs are showing, what the forensic firm is able to determine about the attacker and their motivations. But uh, it can lead to that expensive data mining exercise to ultimately give notice to affected individuals. And then we set them up with a mail house, call center, credit monitoring, yeah. if need be, <laughs> yeah. and help coordinate that whole response.
0: That's interesting because I think um, you know many of us have a, a perception that you call your insurance company to file your claim, period, right? It, it's interesting that you really are providing so much more around the breach than just taking a claim and, and paying out damages, right? It's, maybe you could talk even more broadly, like how does cyber insurance, how does Beasley overall help? help protect customers against these types of attacks?
2: Certainly, yeah. And I I won't say that's, um, you know, a standard at every single cyber insurer. Beasley has its own unique uh, in-house response team, uh, of which I'm a part Uh, And I don't believe other carriers have really replicated that model, but they do have resources available. They will get you set up with a law firm who will set you up with a forensic firm. So notifying your carrier in any instance and finding out what resources are available is something you should do on the front end, not after you incur costs. But at Beasley, we really do care about to protect customers and prevent these as well. So part of our breach response services team Is actually a risk management team, and we run a risk management portal. So through that, we push out a ton of information. We're constantly writing and doing webinars specific to business email compromise, trying to get the message out there that these are preventable. Uh, We're forming partnerships with different companies that can help our insureds, um, such as FireEye with your email security product. We are trying to do a lot as a carrier. To help make our policyholders better risks.
0: That's really neat, and we will talk at the end a little more about how we can work together. Before we do that, I want to pivot. You know, we've been talking a little bit kind of generally and broadly. I want to pivot to specifics. And Ken, I wondered if you could give us an example of you know specific business email compromise we've seen, and then maybe follow on with a little plug for the product that you run in FireEye email security and why it's so effective.
1: Yeah. So actually, I have a I have quite a good customer case study that does uh, touch on a number of the topics that uh, Lauren mentioned there so uh, one good example is there was a payment for 50 million that uh, an attacker was going after and this is in uh, a company that is heavily targeted primarily because they have so many large payments going through so frequently that you know it is a good target to try and uh, engage in one of these attacks and what had happened was the customer received uh, an invoice from a legitimate supplier, uh, and then immediately afterwards, they received uh, a second email uh, asking to actually change the bank details on that payment that you just received the invoice for. And they responded to that second second one saying, sure, no thing. The the second one was from uh, an attacker who had registered a domain similar to the supplier and had also been sitting in their mailbox so they had uh, received access you know got access to uh, their cloud email account so so the they had also registered domains like the customer as well so uh, they sent a response back to the original invoice saying, sure, no thing, we'll, uh, we'll send we'll send the email uh, or we'll send the payment. And they so they continued both sides of the conversation, the mains they had registered similar to both parties. So it turned out, we discovered afterwards, that they had indeed uh, taken over that person's account, the, the supplier's account. And that is very difficult for any company to deal with, OK, because you're not looking after your own infrastructure. This is now everybody that you do business with. People can sit in in their mailbox and choose when to kind of engage with you. Right. That that was a pretty interesting scenario. The kind of twist on the end of that one is that this customer actually had put in place good business processes so that they weren't allowed to change bank details based off an email um, conversation. Yeah. They had to phone phone through to their account contact on either end. But in this case, the uh, PBX had also been hacked, and the phone call went oh, through uh, to the uh, attacker. So yeah. it's pretty that was that was a pretty incredible example. What we also found afterwards is that when we looked at the name servers where those domains had been registered that were similar to both the supplier and the buyer, they had registered lots of domains, like lots of the people that they did business with, you know. So they had they had like taken a look at uh, who they normally communicate with and they had registered lots of domains like them so that they were going to just, you know, over time, keep tapping away at the finance department until they managed to get uh, bank details changed for one of them. And that's that's what people, are, people are, are trying to deal with at the moment. So it's a pretty large scale problem. The, you know, if you take the two kind of versions of business email compromise, the internal and external that I described to you are, are earlier on, when you're only trying to deal with your own organization, it's a very small number of users that they're impersonating and it's quite a small attack surface but when this is pivoted to outside of your organization and they're impersonating people from all the all the vendors that you do business with suddenly the attack service you know is maybe a million people Uh, it it, it becomes extremely large and very difficult to defend against which is why it has spun out this way Uh, and we're seeing such an enormous increase uh, in the success rate of these of these attacks. This, this is quite a difficult area to deal with. Okay, um, so you can you can probably guess from how I'm describing it that this is, this is not easy to uh, to protect against. So one one thing that people need to do uh, is uh, employ multi-factor authentication themselves. But uh, I would say uh, to have it part of your contracts if possible. That anyone who uh, you are dealing with has also implemented multi-factor authentication on their email service. I I would really push for that if possible, because that is really what the kicker is here. Okay. That's, that's a really important factor. The other thing is, so there's very few email security services that have really looked at this hard enough and stayed on top of the changes in this. So for example, like I think the, the top two uh security services in the market like give you you're allowed to like create a list of sixty people that you want to protect against right which is valid a couple of years ago when we were dealing with a small number uh, the attack service was small, but now you're dealing with a possible million people or so who are going to be impersonated coming into you so that solution is 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 no longer valid you know? uh, so you need a you need a much bigger tool set to try and and deal with this situation. So, uh, without going into too much detail, I guess, about the the actual triggers that we look for because uh, that would be useful to the attackers, but our deep relationship analysis, uh, part of the email security service is really uh, what's helping us win here and help us catch this uh, very difficult problem.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, having kind of seen behind you know the scenes on that technology. I will say it is—it's a pretty exhaustive solution for what is definitely a complex problem. The, the neat thing is that there's new ways that Beasley and FireEye customers can take advantage of all that protection. And Lauren, maybe you can fill us in a little bit on that partnership that we alluded to earlier.
2: Sure. Yeah. Just recently, we announced that Beasley Cyber and Tech policy holders are eligible for up to sixty percent off a discount on FireEye's email threat prevention. So. We're certainly hoping many of our policyholders will take advantage of that awesome offering, a very needed way of preventing these types of attacks.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's worth mentioning that in addition to the great detection against these kinds of attacks it can describe our fire our email security is a full email, uh, secure email gateway with outbound scanning and antivirus and anti-spam and uh, all the things that you would expect in, in a secure email gateway. Anyone who's interested is listening can check it out. It's FireEye.com slash offer slash beasley. That's B-E-A-Z-L-E-Y. You can get some more details on that. I'd like to thank you both. Lauren, Ken, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having us. No problem.
0: Thanks. I encourage our thanks. listeners. You bet I encourage our, our listeners to check out our other podcasts as well in the FireEye Ion Security series. Thanks. Look forward to talking to you next time.